0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee and his brother, John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddaeus, Simon, the Canaanian and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles. And enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without payment, give without payment. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God, amen. I generally don't like long quotations in sermons, but I came across something this past week, which I am compelled to share with you because for me, it opened up uh, my thinking a bit about the disciples and indeed about our discipleship and our ministry. And hopefully it will do that for you as well. A letter to Jesus, son of Joseph. The Woodcrafter Carpentry Shop, Nazareth, Galilee. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you are considering for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. We have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included. You will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we provide the following observations. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue to search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers James and John place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude (laughs) (laughs) that would lead to undermining your organization. We believe it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. (laughs) James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, have radical leanings and register high manic depressive scores. Only one of the candidates shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness who meets people well and has a keen business mind. He has contacts in high places and is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. (laughs) All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. If we can be of further assistance, please feel free to contact us in our Jerusalem office. Sincerely yours, Jordan Management Consultants, Jerusalem, Judea. I know some of you have probably received letters from consultants just like that and wondered, oh no, now what? Well, as you think about the life and the personalities of the people that Jesus brought together, it is truly astounding. And in fact, I find it very encouraging. There were such unusual characters brought together in that group. Jesus must have been uh, amazingly uh, intuitive to think that it might be possible that this group that he brought together could actually change the world. When I was in seminary, and I'm sure it's true of most of the seminaries, there was a a joke going around that if Jesus or any of the 12 disciples had to go through any one of our many ordination processes, none of them would have been ordained. And I think we took that as a sort of consolation, those of us who are still going through the process. But now that I'm ordained, I'm a bit concerned about that as I reflect on it. Perhaps they would not have been ordained. But then what about me? I think that we have over the years got a distorted view of what it means to be called to be a minister what it means to be a minister what it means to be part of the body of Christ well first of all though looking back on these people that Jesus brought to the core of his organization perhaps the most extreme examples of the kinds of people that he had is Matthew, the tax collector, the one who is a collaborator with Roman authority. And then on the other extreme, Simon the Zealot. And one can imagine that Simon was the sort of person that if he lived in the 21st century, he'd be a member of Hamas. He'd be a suicide bomber. He would do anything to overthrow those who kept them under occupation. And yet these two were together among the twelve. And then certainly we can imagine that It wasn't the first time that Thomas asked probing questions like, Jesus, I will not believe unless you show me the wounds in your hands and in your side. Thomas must have questioned over and over again. And then, of course, we know that James and John certainly had encouragement, at least from a mother, to try to have the first place among those equals to sit at the right hand of Jesus and at his left. And then, of course... There's Peter. Can you imagine trying to have a meeting with Peter being among the group? Uh, He must have interrupted almost every gathering with his ideas and saying it's not fast enough. It's not soon enough. We must do it now. What do you mean, Jesus? Jesus had to put up with a lot. So I reflect on this as a rector when I realize that sometimes we have groups of people coming together in committee or on vestry. And we have sometimes personalities that rub against one another. And I would encourage you also to think about Jesus and his disciples and realize that this is what it is to be in community in the church. We are many and varied people. We all have our own unique personality traits, and sometimes it's difficult for us to work together, but we can. And we also need to remember. When we get frustrated that Jesus must have had that same frustration from time to time. But above all, I think it's important for us to set aside the idealization that we have of that original 12 or of any of those early church leaders and saints. It's important for us to realize that the saints of the church, the apostles, the sent ones, the the ones that Jesus sent out. They were people like you and me. They were in many ways very ordinary people. Some would say that they don't even live up to the standard that we present. They were in most cases uneducated. Fishermen, many of them. You can imagine it might have even been difficult to have had them at a dinner in good company. So it's important, I think, for us to see that those who who we revere as the founders of our faith Were people like you and me with all of the rough edges that all of that brings the church over the years over the centuries has struggled with the idea of how to help us see that we all are called to be ministers of the gospel we all are called to ministry the Protestant Reformation made a great attempt at it when they raised up as a key principle the idea of the priesthood of all believers That principle is based largely on a text from 1st Peter, and I'll read that for you. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, That you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, I think the Reformation tried to recalibrate the church to get a better understanding of the relationships between holy orders, those bishops, priests and deacons, their role in the church and the role of all the other people who made up the body of Christ. But in fact, I think it was only marginally successful. Because even today in our own church, we are very hierarchical. In the Episcopal Church, hierarchy seems to still uh, prevail in many, many arenas. We still, it seems, turn to the one with a collar to see what they might think. I am thankful to say that in this congregation, I think that that is not the case. I believe that (laughs) some would would say it really isn't (laughs) the case. I think it's a healthy thing to know that this is your church, that you are the ones who make this the body of Christ. And I am one who is blessed to be among you as a teacher, as a preacher and as a celebrant at the at the uh, sacraments. But it's important, I think, for us to recognize that Jesus, I believe, saw something very different for the church from the beginning. You know, the early followers of Jesus called themselves people of the way. The way, of course, being Jesus and the the way that he demonstrated in the way that he lived his life. But as the church grew and as we are who we are as people, we wanted institutions and we had to organize it all. And pretty soon we came up with these very hierarchical structures. I think that uh, we see it especially. I, I believe that the majority of the bodies of the church of the body of Christ throughout the world is dominated by by men it is still a very patriarchal organization even in our own church even in the Episcopal Church there are still aspects of it that are very male dominated I'll never forget having watched a, uh, a documentary that was done by a former Roman Catholic priest who had left the priesthood and married And he was standing in the environs of uh, the Vatican behind him. You could see St. Peter's. And he said in most of the Catholic churches every Sunday, there are prayers for vocations. And he said, God must be very sad to know that there are literally thousands of us speaking of himself as a married former priest who would love to serve God in God's church, but cannot. And there are millions of women who are called to be ministers in the church, but they cannot. I give thanks that we at least have come to the point where we can have women in, in, in leading roles in ministry in the church, not just ordained, but as members of vestries, as senior wardens, as people who go to General Convention, who lead our church. In fact, the two leaders of our church, the President of the House of Deputies, And the president of the House of Bishops, our presiding bishop, are both women. It's important, though, for us to see it's not just about uh, raising up women in ministry, but it's about all of us being engaged in ministry. We are all called to be ministers of the gospel. We get our, our authorization for that at baptism, not at ordination. The most important thing that happens to us in the church is the day that we are baptized. And for those who may go on and be ordained, the only thing that happens is that our ministry is limited. The ministry of a layperson is almost limitless. When you're ordained a deacon, then you're narrowed and that ministry becomes a ministry of servanthood, reaching out into the world, taking the church to the world and the world into the church. When one is ordained a priest, it's further limited to the ministry of the sacraments. And then, God help those who are ordained bishops. The only thing they seem to be able to do is administer institutions and confirm. So the ministry of ordination limits ministry and orders it in very narrow ways. But the ministry of the laity, of all the people, is wide open, it's expansive. I was had just uh, baptized a child uh, in South Dakota one morning, one Sunday morning, and I was thinking about uh, the ministry of all the baptized. And I wondered to myself, what is the ministry of this baby? And then as I carried the baby down the aisle, as we often do in that procession of welcome, I saw the faces of the people in the congregation aglow and with joy about this child. And I knew immediately that child has already had a joyful ministry in the life of the church. Every one of us has a ministry in the church and in the world beyond the church. Every one of us is called to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. That it's possible for there to be peace. It's possible for there to be justice. Because the one that we follow on the way said, let there be peace. Offer yourself for peace. Let there be justice. Work to make this a world of justice. We are called, each one of us, to proclaim the gospel of Christ and to live the way that Jesus taught us to live. But there are two other things that I would draw our attention to in this gospel passage, and very briefly, but I think they're important. The first is that this unlike any of the other lists of the of the uh, of the apostles names lists them in pairs and you'll see that when you read it it's uh, it's uh, the, the two brothers are named and that they're all all the way through it's it's pairs that are listed I think that's a sign to us from Matthew that we never engage in ministry as lone rangers we never engage in it alone we are always engaged in ministry with other people And in fact, we are ministered to in the process of ministry. The other thing that I would draw your attention to is that saying in that gospel where Jesus says, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to any of the towns of the Samaritans. Go to the children of Israel. We could hear that, I think, is a very exclusionary kind of message. But in fact, I think what Jesus may have been saying is go to the people you know. And to the people who know you, those are the first ones that we are called to, the ones that are right around us where we live, our neighbors, our friends, the people at work. As I think about the kind of ministry that that might be, I know many of you have probably most of you have heard of the untimely death of Tim Russert and some of the tributes to his life. And what an amazing man he was, as we learn more about him. He was a man of faith, and he was a man who cared very much for his family, both uh, the family that he grew out of and his own family. And on this Father's Day especially, there's perhaps no one who has uh, said so much about the importance of fathers as Tim Russert has in recent years. Tim Russert, I think, is a wonderful example for those of us. And I lived this life for many years before I was ordained, who are called to a particular vocation. And we find ourselves in what we might say are very secular settings. Certainly, there is nothing more secular than uh, being in Washington at that seat of power with all of the tremendous forces that come to bear. And there in the midst of that was this man who was willing to share who he was As a human being who followed the one that we call Jesus, he was willing to live that life at the heart of power. One might say power of the world. I believe that that is the kind of ministry that all of us are called to. All of us are capable in engaging in. Now, some might ask, is the harvest plentiful here where we are? Recent studies have shown that in this community and the communities right around it, about a third of the people that we encounter every day that are part of this town and the towns around us are not connected with any faith community. One third. That means we have tremendous opportunity to share our lives and to be little Christ in their presence. And not in a way that is offensive or a way that demeans anything that they are or what they might believe, but simply to be present with them as Christ. And if you reflect on the life of Christ, you will see he never imposed himself on another, but he oft- always offered that possibility that the kingdom of God was near. The kingdom of God was present and above all that God loves everyone. Everyone we encounter is loved by God. I invite you as you go into the week ahead that you think about how you might take that love of God out into the world around you and how you might make a difference in terms of bringing the kingdom of God present in a moment as you're with others, wherever you might work. May God bless each of us as we seek to understand who we are, as we are called to be ministers Of this glorious gospel. Amen.